Good morning, everybody. Hello, hello. Good morning. I think I've got, I'm starting to get your attention. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 1111 downtown. Good to see your faces in here. And also, um, Welcome to you guys online. I'm glad you're with us online and watching. Thanks for checking us out and thanks for being with us. If you're online, you can register online. You can find out the information there. You'll see the links and fill out the information. If you're in this room, you can do it in here. There's cards or you can do it on the phone. If you didn't get your, uh, uh, the bulletin, I believe if you scan one of those sheets, you can get the bulletin that way. You can do that during uh, the time that we're saying hello to one another if you would like to. We're doing things a little different today in our order, and you'll see why I think as we're doing this, but it's a little bit different order to th this morning. So um, either just follow along and see what, the, you know, it's kind of like, I'll just do what you're doing. Just do that, or you can scan it and have the bulletin. A couple of quick things. Um, the, uh, next, the, for the next couple of Sundays, we are focusing on moving towards Independence Day, except as we did last year during COVID, online I believe we were last year, we are celebrating our Interdependence Day in here, and that's where we're moving towards this week, is, is thinking about different ways in how we engage that mindset. Um, because how we see the world affects how we live in the world, how we act in the world. And I'm going to argue that most of us don't know how we're acting in the world because that's the way we've always been acting. We always act in relationship to something else, right? We act in reaction to the way we were raised. We act in reaction to the people we're with. We act in, so we always sort of act out of something that was a narrative we inherited. Is it really the way things are? That's up to, I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but I'm also saying it may not be. <laughs> But I'm not going to tell you what it is, that's for sure, because uh, we all live with this same kind of illusion. Anyway, we're going to move towards interdependence, I hope. So that's what we're doing for the next four Sundays. And to make it kind of fun, Kagan is going to be singing a special song, a song that she's written. She's going to be, we're going to be featuring one of her songs every Sunday. And we're going to have also, we have some other guests, uh, musicians that are going to be coming in, and I'll have some folks join in me with some dialogue as well. And so we're going to have an interesting series coming up. Now, over the next four Sundays, I hope you be a part of that. I'm thinking there's something else I'm missing, but I'm not thinking what it is. Oh, annual conference. How many of you want to come to annual conference this next weekend? <laughs> he is. Yes, of course you do. So, uh, the an so we are also... Um, going to be hosting annual conference at our church, at the main church, at the big church, uh, starting on Sunday, next Sunday, and that'll go on for a couple of days. Here's what you need to know. You need to realize that if you haven't been watching the news or you haven't been checking out the Methodist news, we are, of course, in the middle of sort of a struggle over who we are as United Methodists. I want to be clear that we're not dividing, we're not splitting, but there are people leaving. So there's a difference because we remain United Methodists. United Methodists, the reason why I came into United Methodism after making my pilgrimage through all the denominations is because Methodism seemed like the place where you could sit at a big table and you could have a lot of different opinions and a lot of different orientations and a lot of different ways of seeing things, but you understood there was one sort of key thing about what it meant to transform the world for love and for compassion. You kind of knew that. And so you stayed focused on doing good in the world and then you had your differences. Apparently that's harder and harder to do and has been for some time. You notice we, had our, we have our little rainbow out there and our flags and stuff. We're honoring this week. This is the beginning of Pride Month. Yes. Yes. Come on, I know that you all know that and you're experiencing that and you're celebrating that with the rest of us and with all of those who, uh, who are of the LGBTQIA community. And, um, and in the Methodist Church, it's struggling with that, right? So it's going to be an interesting conference because there are churches now who are already wishing to disaffiliate. That hasn't been approved because we had to put off general conference. So other churches are already rushing to it and forming another denomination called the Global Methodist Church. So in order to do that, they have to go through a whole process of petitioning, petitioning the annual conference and because we're a connectional system. So we're trying to do it with as much grace and um, openness while at the same time our new current interim bishop, man, people, I gotta just say, I, hurry, I hate church meetings, okay? I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a Methodist minister, I don't like church meetings. 
And some of you are on the leadership team and you have to meet with me. But that doesn't mean I don't like meeting with you guys. I love meeting with you guys. I don't like institutional church meetings because they become really cumbersome at times. I wasn't crazy about the annual conference because for years and years and years, we've lived on sort of a more oppressive, restrictive kind of leadership. And it's always been very difficult to be who you are in relation to that kind of closed-mindedness. Guys, we got a great interim bishop right now. I felt so inspired by Bishop Haynes, Hines when he was reaching out to us this last week as, as all of the clergy met in an executive session and as he stood up in front and said, to those who are also petitioning to leave, because we were all there, people, imagine that, we're all sitting in the same room, all 200 of us, and we're all sitting there next to each other with a certain percentage wanting to leave, a certain percentage who says we're wrong for who we are and they're going to be different and we're all saying, wait a minute, I'm so glad you're here. And the bishop was saying, I'm so glad you're here. And the bishop was saying, I hope that when you go back, you'll consider the fact we're glad you're here. Wasn't that amazing? So that's what we're talking about this morning. What does it mean to be interconnected? And what is the illusion that keeps us tied down to feeling like we're not? Okay, that's where we are. Glad you're with us. Glad you're on this journey with us. And uh, we're going to kick off with our welcome candle with Kelly Reeves doing our candle for us. Good morning, everyone. How are y'all? Good. I've been a part of this church since I was a little girl, and I left for a little while, but the most important thing was Tom was my youth director when I was in sixth grade. A lot of y'all don't remember that. It was my first year. It was my first year in youth, but his last year, unfortunately, You in still look so young. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then I circled back after college and came back over here, and it's just been a joy, and this is my home, and I hope this is your home, too. Um, join me in the welcome candle. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving it. It doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you've broken your vows a thousand times. Come, yet again. Would y'all stand and sing with us now a song that celebrates our interdependentness? And you can bring your offering to the table right now. We know this river always keeps flowing. We will be rowing our whole lives long. And we may never know where we're going, but we can go there. Singing a song, verse two, just like a mother to a child she's holding, just like a soldier marching along, just like the faithful on Sunday morning, raising our voices. Singing a song, all right. Eyes will shine, but not as bright. Arms will hold, but not as tight. When a word is only spoken. Beside you, bring it inside you, making you strong so that when trouble comes round to greet you, still it will lead you singing a song. Rock out.
time Sing it with the heart by The music of life overtake us Till angels mistake us for heavenly throng And may that joyful sound be our shelter And bind us together singing a song We'll be together singing a song. That's almost perfect right there, I gotta say. Would y'all take a moment and offer one another a sign of peace? if you throw up our first two slides. Oh, is that the slide? Oh, that is the slide. And I wonder if you go to the first two slides of the message and then we'll come back to that. I forgot to tell you to switch that out. I'm gonna, I wanna set up this, uh, and then go to the first two slides. There are the first slide right now. There we go. Reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one from our friend, Father, Einstein, our, our, our uh, priest of the science. And then this other one from one of my favorite writers, the transcendentalist uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, there's an optical illusion about every person we meet. Wow. That's kind of hard to imagine, really, because we pretty well made up our minds about the people we meet. Right? I mean, we do. We kind of look at each other and go, oh, there's that person. Oh, there's that. Oh, there he is. There she is. I know exactly who they are. Um, so we, and even when we see how someone acts, we think, well, that's who they are. But they're acting out of all sorts of narratives and all sorts of conditioning and all sorts of illusions that uh, they're bringing to the table too. So neither of us is really that much in touch with what's really going on. That's the hard thing, I think, is to try to get hold of that. And then I have this one, which is one of my favorite, and I apologize for the children. Cover your children's faces. I won't say it. You can just read it. <laughs> what I really love about it is it's an, it's, it's an Escher, right? It's an Escher kind of thing, and it's just the reality that sometimes reality is so convoluted and confusing, and we think if we just try one thing, it's gonna solve the problem. It's hard to be in this reality where things seem to be going one direction, and yet we suddenly discover, oh, that can mean five different things. We need someone in here to try to define it for us. That's what it feels like. And the reality is that it's just not that definable sometimes. So how do we live in the midst of it? So today we're talking about Pentecost because today is traditionally in the, in the Protestant church and in the Catholic church, it's the day of Pentecost, 
50 days after Easter, uh, the uh, five weeks celebrate the five uh, weeks of uh, feast of weeks, which is uh, happens after Passover for the Jewish community, and so so Pentecost kind of arose out of that tradition, out of Jewish Christians or Jewish Jesus followers who then sort of adapted this idea and this tradition, and it, and it occurs in Acts, the book of Acts, the story. But we're talking about what does it mean then to be in the presence of Spirit? What does that even mean, Holy Spirit? When you talk about Holy Spirit, the first thing we think about is speaking in tongues. We think about um, the, 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 uh, the whole Pentecostalist movement that actually came out of Wesleyan tradition back at the early 1900s. It came out of the holiness part of Wesleyanism. And uh, there's this whole gifts of the Spirit. Now, I myself had a nice little stint with the Pentecostal church. I spent about seven months in the Pentecostal church here in Fort Worth. I, too, as a young adult, spoke in tongues there was a young woman in the group that I was very fond of. She spoke in tongues. I thought, well, I better do that too. We kind of saddled up, sidled up next to each other and spoke in tongues together. Until after about the first couple of nights and I'm, you know, when we would do this, and she looked over and she said, are you speaking Spanish? <laughs> and the truth be told, I was under the illusion that if I just um, imitated what I would be, what everybody else was doing, then I must be doing the same thing. But I was basically garbling up Spanish with all sorts of other things and gibberish. And so uh, I, was, uh, I was exposed and um, felt pretty much, what would you feel when you're exposed like that? I felt the other thing that such environments often like when you don't fit in. I felt lots of great shame <laughs> and just kind of wallowed in that for a while. So we have these realities that we, uh, that we orient around and we assume that's the way things are. But the reality is, is if you look out over time, you see where systemic problems just get more and more ingrained, like a family that can't get out of its dysfunctional system, like a relationship that's stuck in its dysfunctional reality, or an addict who's stuck in their dysfunctional addiction because they can't see the pattern they're living, Right? And so in a sense, what you might even think of is you could actually call those folks zombies. You could actually call them zombies because they are lifeless, stuck in the same reality. And so when Brad and, and Kagan and I met, this song came to my head, Zombie, by the Cranberries. And it's a hard song to listen to for a number of reasons, because if you've been over to Ireland, you've been there at that place along the border where the conflict with Catholics and Protestants, with, with uh, Northern Ireland and England, where the conflict has been going on, as the song will say, since 1916. Well, of course, now they're under a peace accord. But that conflict was so ingrained for centuries, for centuries, that even if you ask people, they don't know why, other than they know they've been a part of it for centuries and the conflict continued. They were living like zombies. And we have ourselves now in the midst of just another 20, 30 years we've been at this and there's been another gun violence, another mass shooting, another reality that we find ourselves in this kind of tragic reality and we think that's the problem and then they think, no, that's the problem and then we find ourselves right back in the same pattern of being that where if an alien were to visit and see who we are after the last 10 years, they go, oh, I guess they like this reality because nothing's changed. We still live the same way, the same divisiveness, the same arguments, and the same suffering and violence. So there's something going on. We're all living like zombies.
So I invited the band to stay up there because they're going to do some other stuff. And Kagan will be up there joining them. And I don't know um, if you felt this. I mean, I, you know, if you think about where we are and where we've been, and of course you think about Ireland and where Ireland's been, and I'm, I'm dual citizen, right? So, I mean, my father was born in Ireland. I have relatives who fought on both sides of those conflicts. And I've been sitting down when I've been over in performances over there in Ireland and sat at tables after performing at a festival there and both sides would be at a table having a pint with me and it wouldn't take more than about 10, 15 minutes there with their wives there, the men would start getting into it. Someone wasn't there when we needed you. Someone wasn't there when you could see how could you act the way. It, before you knew it, we had had two pints and they were already fighting at the table, even in times of peace. And of course, you know, I was watching the wives who were looking at their husbands going, trying to calm them down, right? But they understood the illusion, but they were still having to live according to it, right? Some of us know the illusion when we're in the midst of it. Some of us can see it, we feel trapped in it. But the wives were like, come on, come on, come on, honey, now come on, and calm down. And it made you realize, oh, there's something else here. Right? There's something else here that nobody can see because we've been living the same narrative since 1916. Actually, hundreds of years. Or for us, we've been living the same narrative since shortly after the revolution. Trust me, it's been a part of our illusion for a long time. And I'm not taking sides here. If I'm taking any side, I'm standing squarely in the middle and saying, this story is a lie. The story that's going on in our country is a lie. Now, things have to happen. You got a rabid dog that's killing people, if it's biting animals, there's destruction. You, got, you have to stop violence when violence is happening. You have to deal with poverty when poverty is there. You have to help hunger when hunger is there. But the reality of the narrative is that we are all living in this lie because it's been the way we've been living. To live in a different way, it's like Einstein. You don't solve the problem with the same reasoning that got you into the problem. So let's go to this next slide here real quick, Ed. So I've said this many, many times. Suffering is pervasive, right? We can't seem to get away from suffering. It seems to be all around us. But also, if, the God, if God, the very ground of our existence, is also an inescapable reality, if we can't get out of the reality of God's presence, whatever that is, the sacredness of life, the divinity of life, everything is holy, our favorite song that um, is holy now that uh, Peter Mayer has been a part of for our li in our lives for so long, the very ground of our existence is also an inescapable reality, then maybe the problem of suffering is more about seeing and sensing and then resurrection than a contractual relationship with cause and effect. That's a complicated sentence. <laughs> but that's what I want to try to explain to you. So Pentecost has come, and Pentecost is this time in our church when we think of it as being a sort of an identity, a mark of identity. That's what we think of in the, in the story. I'm going to read it to you really quickly so that you can... Um, Read along here. If you'll go back, Ed, now to that scripture text, and I'll read it real quickly so that we can talk about it. So John 14 is the first one. This is Jesus. The story is that Jesus is now back, and he's after his resurrection, he's talking to the... No, I'm sorry, it's right before his, uh, his, his uh, death. But he's talking to his disciples knowing that he's going to be killed. And so he says to this, Philip says to him, Master, then show us the Father so that we'll be content... I love that, isn't that nice? <laughs> Show us God so we can be content. That's your number one problem right there. But we won't get into that just yet. Whatever you request in this way I'll do. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk with the Father and he'll provide you another. By the way, I'm reading the message version. Friend, I will leave you another friend. I'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. Now this friend is the spirit of truth. Hmm. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. Okay, that's really interesting, this whole story, this whole John gospel, which is a gospel that's a mystical orientation to Christianity because it comes 100 years, 90 years, some 90 years after Jesus' death, and Jesus did not establish a new kingdom, and the old ideas of what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. What do you make out of Jesus now? 
So 90 years later, people begin to understand this understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus did requires a different kind of response. So you have this mystic gospel that's trying to explain who Jesus was. Then we have the book of Acts, which is an earlier book. It's written some 15, 20 years after Jesus' death. This is from chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as if fire had appeared among them, and a tongue of fire rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound of this crowd, at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard these folks speaking in their own language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not these who are speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans, of course, were not a part of the same community. And how is it that we're hearing each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, people from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. They're all speaking their languages, and yet we hear them speaking about God. And they were all perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then they said, they're, they're filled with new wine, right? They're drunk. <laughs> because that's what you do when you don't know what's going on. You try to label it. No, they're just all drunk. <laughs> so here we have these two stories that speak about this event that in the church's history has become this idea that it's, um, that it's really about this labeling, this identity that you then are marked and so over time, the, the church, when it became institutional, took this idea of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, and it became sort of an extra thing that happens. That's not what I read in this story. I don't read in this story that an extra thing happens, and that's why. What I read in this story is that they couldn't, that there are those who can see it, and then those, there are those who cannot. And that when you do see it, something strange happens you do look a little bit odd to everybody else. You are speaking a little bit language that's different from everybody else. But also, something else happens. You begin to understand. Do you all remember that song? Um, Y'all gonna sing along with me here? You ready? Baptist, Pentecostals, Church of Christ people, you ready? There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. That's too high. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. Some of you are just kind of scowling at me. There's a sweet expression on each face. And I know that it's the presence of the Lord, sweet Holy Spirit, heavenly God. Okay, y'all know this song, right? Right? You remember this song. And it's always been interesting to me because you know where we sang this song? Among like-minded people. Everybody sang it because everybody understood it and it was everybody's language. They all were like-minded. Nobody was speaking a different language. Nobody was speaking something difficult or awkward. Nobody was disagreeing with anybody. They were all in that same place, and we're all going like, isn't this a sweet spirit? It's like ice cream. It's like candy. It has nothing to do with God. Isn't that hard to hear? <laughs> because you see, where God was in this story is God's in the middle of where it's confusing. They're all speaking different languages. How is it we understand? Do you know what the word understand means, literally? I don't know where that is on this slide because I'm skipping around already. We'll come back to it. Oh, there it is. You take the root word of understand, it means to stand in the midst of in order to see clearly. It literally means to stand in the midst of. It doesn't mean to find a place where everybody agrees. It doesn't mean to find a place where it's comfortable. It doesn't mean how lovely this experience has been. It means to stand in the midst of until it starts to make sense. And that's hard for us to do on any side of the spectrum you find yourself on because we're immediately wanting to go to where it's comfortable, where we know it's right. I, I've got to, 
I got to spend a lot of time over the years working with kids who had cancer, right? And Brad's doing this great work now, working with Camp Care out in North Carolina. This was so much of a learning experience. I remember the first time I worked with Camp Care in, in North Carolina, and I was there as a storyteller and as a musician and as a drum facilitator, as kind of resident artist residents. And, and one night they said, we want, we want some storytelling. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do ghost stories because I know kids love ghost stories. And we were sitting around a campfire, and I told this story. And I've, I've told this story at schools before. I've seen kids start to cringe. I've seen them start to wince when I told this story. And I was telling this story to these kids, and I thought, this fell flat. And I asked them, I said, y'all didn't like this story? I mean, have y'all ever really been scared before? And the guy, one of the guys next to me looked at me and said, try cancer. And it suddenly hit me, I wasn't listening. I wasn't present. I wasn't standing in the midst of things. I was bringing my agenda and trying to impress or connect in whatever way I could aside from being uncomfortable, right? One of the fun things that happens at these camps, and I'm sure they still happen, Brad, is that once you're at the dining table, after the first day or two, you start feeling this, you know, you start feeling this spirit, this energy that's with the camp, and pretty soon at the dining room, they'll be shouting from one end, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you, do they still do that? Ain't No Flies On Us is another one. That, yeah, yeah. Um, so then the, on the other side, we'll say the same thing. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And it'll go back and forth until it's like a concert, like a queen concert at a big football stadium. You know, we will, we, and they're just banging on the tables. We got spirit. Yes, we do. And then it just becomes this loud, unified, we got spirit. We got spirit. And then the kids are jumping up on the tables and stomping. We got spirit. We, even those with prosthetic legs, and we got spirit. And they're all banging, and the counselors are going like, like, should they be doing this up on tables? I mean, aren't we worried about stuff? And the kids are like, worried about stuff? I've got cancer. What are you worried about? And they're living. And so this, this thing starts to happen. And, and it occurred to me, that's not where the Spirit was. Right? Do you know where the Spirit was? The Spirit was when they came together, they recognized they have a shared reality that's beyond whoever they are, wherever they're from, whatever their backgrounds, whatever their affiliations, whatever their tribes, they're all sharing in a similar suffering, a similar reality. At the very core of their being, they don't acknowledge it, they may be not even conscious of it, but they're all there in the same boat. And that's what they were able to see without even really recognizing it that I think so many of us can't see that so many of us miss all the time. Um, there's this, I think we find ourselves in this, in this reality that we, we think of suffering as something that's supposed to be fixed. It's bad, it's wrong. And, and I'm not saying suffering's right. Nor am I saying violence is right. Nor am I saying, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get to the point of understanding suffering is what suffering really is. It's an illusion. Now you're gonna say like, no, 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 suffering, suffering. No, pain is pain, and hurt is hurt, and violence is violence, suffering is an invitation. Suffering is an invitation to look more deeply at where we are in relationship to what's going on and who we are, and finding in the midst of that something we didn't know. The spirit rises up in the midst of conflict. It's like I said a couple of weeks ago, the old Jewish notion where the, when the, where the son was asking his grandfather who was a rabbi, why do we have to have the Torah on our hearts? Why do you keep saying have the Torah on our hearts? And the rabbi said, because when your heart breaks open, the Torah is there. The Spirit of God is there. When we break open, when we're vulnerable, is where we find it. Now, you might think it's it's, we find it in our comfort zones, but here's what you have to do. You have to get outside the comfort zone to see how crazy it looks. Right? You literally have to step, go ahead and show this next one. Uh, if I think, let's get to uh, Jerry. Yeah, there it is. You have to be able to step outside of it because pretty soon you start realizing that this is just like the Jerry Springer show. It's just like the people out there screaming, Jerry, Jerry. I mean, look at that. There are people fighting and on the crowds are cheering. Right? 
And Jerry's just standing in the back watching and going like, isn't this interesting? I'm going to get rich off of this. But that's beside the point. The reality, that doesn't bother me at all. He's just a, fig- he's just a, a, a sideshow. The reality is, how is this happening? But the, the reality that we're in today is, guess what? We're no longer watching. We are the Jerry Springer show. We are the screaming at one another, the immediate taking sides, the immediate craziness of being in this reality that is basically simply the same elusive, illusionary struggle that we've been in and nothing's changed. Now, if you were an alien, like I said, you'd come down here, if you were an alien and being with us for 10, you know, being around us for 10 years, you'd probably conclude as a friend of mine concluded once when she noticed that I was struggling with something and I'd been struggling with it for years. People have been telling me otherwise, this is what you need to do, and I still keep struggling with it. And they said, she said to me, she said, oh, I guess that's because you like it. If aliens were visiting with us, I'm sure they would look at us and go, they like this way of being, because they've been this way for years and years and years and years, and nothing really changes. Now, you're going to be tempted to fall right back into your positions and your, and your orientation and say, yeah, but that's wrong. Yeah, but this is right. This is my right. No, this is wrong. And I mean, you're going to go back and forth, and where are you going to be? Jerry, 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 right back on the same stage, living out a mockery of our reality rather than trying to find the spirit at the heart of things. So here's what's interesting. If you go to the book of, of the Old Testament and you look at the story of Babel, which happens in Genesis, it's an Old Testament story, a myth story, kind of an origin story. You know it. The, the, the people, the humanity, had been one voice. One voice. They were one identity. They decided we're going to make a big city now and we're going to build a huge tower up to the heavens. And God looks down and says, we can't have this. This isn't right. We can't have this. So let's go down there and let's mix them up. Let's confuse them. So God goes down, confuses them all, scatters them in every direction because they can't understand each other now. What do you do when you can't understand someone? Typically. You run. You back away. Somebody scares you, they look weird, somebody's coming at you really strong. Yeah, maybe not so frequently, but, but attitude-wise, and, tits, and you back away because that's what we do. Or we get really defensive and we fight because that's also what we do. We just want suffering to go away or we want to run from it or we want to deny it or we become victims of it. Never ever do we think, oh, I'm going to go stand right in the middle of this because that's hard to do. And yet, again, Nothing changes until we're willing to face the reality that we find ourselves in. And that's a hard, hard place to be. It's a hard place to get for a number of reasons because we think we are our identities. Well, we'll be dead pretty soon. Some of us sooner than others. Our identities will be gone. So what are we making out of who we are unless we're participating in at the heart of what reality is. That's my challenge to us. It's one thing to identify so harsh and so strictly with one thing that we think that's it. And in the meantime, Jerry Springer show just keeps going on, just keeps happening. So in contrast, you get this wonderful story that follows Jesus' life, and what's Jesus' life been all about? But inclusion, bringing in the marginalized, sitting with the uncomfortable people, trying to be present to everybody, there were even Orthodox people hanging out with Jesus, <laughs> you know, because he was doing something very different. What happened after that was you have this story of the Spirit once again coming in the midst, finding the Spirit in the midst of things, but it's just the opposite of Babel. Instead of confusion, when people find themselves in the midst of this Spirit, there's understanding. But here's the thing. It's still different. They're still from different parts of the world. They're still different languages. They're still different people. Some are still Gentiles. Some are Jewish. Some come from Jewish tradition. Some are coming out of Roman tradition and Gentile tradition. And yet, there's a spirit. So when I talk about how we connect with that spirit, then I think the big challenge is, us, is for us to start to question how we deal with it. So let's go to the next slide real quick. 
The truth is we're in a toxic relationship with reality. And getting to the central cause of toxic relationship, whether family, school, company, church, denomination, or whether a country, it's hard to do because we all miss the larger point here in our like-minded tribes. We can't see the forest for the trees, the toxic relationship we have with violence or with polarization or discontentment. It's a one-sided problem, and yet it's the whole system. We're all part of the problem. We're all on the stage. We just don't often see it. And why don't we see it is because we go to our comfort spots and we're able to point fingers. Easy. So we can still do that. There's a great book here. Let's go to this next one. This book came, actually keep going. We can keep going to the next one. Keep going. There we go. This guy, Bill Bishop, used to be a, a, a journalist, wrote a book back in 2009 called The Big Sort. Why the clustering of like-minded America is tearing us apart. I'll let you in on a little secret. When I see an ad that says, come join our church where you'll find like-minded people, I'm thinking, that's Satan. That's the devil. You don't want to go there. Nothing changes there. You can feel good, you can get some things done, but nothing changes the world unless you're willing to be with people that aren't like you. That's how the world changes, right? And that's why it's so difficult. So in his book, he wrote, as people seek out social settings that make them feel the most comfortable, the nation grows more politically segregated. And the benefit that ought to come from having a variety of opinions is lost to the righteousness that is the special entitlement of the homogenous group. Oh my God, did you see that last part? The special entitlement that is part of our homogenous group. We have this self-righteousness because it's part of our group and we know we're right. And we can tell you we're right because we got our group to back us up. So I'm still not arguing who's right or wrong here. <laughs> I'm saying we need to find the spirit. We're all missing the spirit. We need to get in the middle of it and be with somebody. So you know what Bill Bishop did? He realized this wasn't gonna change. And if you, he did an interview last week, you can read it this last week, and if you go to politico.com, you can read the interview because somebody said, we've just had Uvalde. We're back where we've been for three decades or more. Nothing's really changing in our country. There's still more and more divisiveness over issues. Your book spoke about this stuff, and yet, who are you now in relationship to what's been happening? What do you see as our future? And this is what he said. He said, I don't really know what the future is. All I know is that I wasn't able to change it with my points or my arguments, so I decided to self-sort myself. So instead of living with my liberal, like-minded people, I've moved out to LaGrange, which is an 85% red county. He said, I'm a Democrat. I just got out of there because that's not real. He said, this isn't real. This is just standing on the stage arguing our point, fighting with each other. I went out there where I could live in the midst of things, but not because I wanted to argue, because I just wanted to be in the midst of others. So he said, this is what I discovered. I discovered that when there's, a when there's a problem, when there's a conflict, guess what? Everybody comes to help. When there's a big problem in the community, everybody rallies. Now, if you're gonna get political, they all go to their sides. But as long as you're talking about what people need, and where people are in their lives, it seems like everybody rises to the occasion. They seem to have sidestepped the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> that's my words, not his words. I think that's what Pentecost is all about. So I wanna do some takeaways here real quick. Man's gonna get, oh, um, Kagan? Ah, yeah, come on up, yeah. I think this is what we're invited to do. To get out of this toxicity of this dysfunctional system, we have to be willing to do a couple of things. First of all, we have to be willing to recognize we're a part of the problem, right? Whenever you go and you do an intervention with a systemic problem in a family, even when it's an, even when it's an addiction, it's never that person, it's the system. We're a part of the problem. So the first takeaway I think here is to check your own self-sorting. Is that coming up there? There you go. Yeah, check your own self-sorting. You know you don't have to because you know you do it. We all know we do it automatically. But check it. See how often it's happening during the every day. See how many times during the day you self-sort. Oh, somebody sends you a funny text about, about this individual, this politician, or this argument, and you kind of laugh with it, and you do the ha-has, and you jump in, and you find your own, and you all start chiming in on the same thing, right? 
See how many times a day you literally self-sort as if that's what reality is. Check your own self-sorting. Monica Guzman wrote an interesting book that just came out, and she said, whoever is underrepresented in your life will be overrepresented in your imagination. Now, that's an important thing. Whoever is underrepresented in your life will be overrepresented in your imagination. Why? Because you don't know those people. You just think you do, so you've already projected on those others, and you've created a reality. Instead of the actual people, you'll see monsters. Instead of possibilities, you'll see disasters, and that's the challenge of a polarized war, I mean, a world. So the first thing, check your own sorting, self-sorting. Secondly, second thing, this is what her book was called. Her book's called Fearless Curiosity. I love that. I haven't read the book yet. I've just looked at it and heard some interviews. Practice fearless curiosity in conversations with others. If somebody starts doing that and you've been self-sorting, see if you can't challenge it. They'll probably go like, oh, buzzkill. <laughs> They'll probably go, I'm not going to sit. Let's, let's, let's exclude him from the future of text in this group, right? But check your self-sorting and then so, show some fearless curiosity in finding out what am I missing here? Why are we doing this? What am I actually saying here? What else is being felt here? Maybe there's somebody else in this person that I don't know, but I've just labeled them the same way that they've labeled me. Awe is a way of being in rapport with the mystery of our reality, and something is at stake in every moment. That's what Abraham Heschel said. Awe is a way of being in rapport with the mystery of all reality. Something is at stake in every moment. Last thing, and this I'm going to challenge you to do every day, and some of you will, and a lot of you won't. But how do you start facing the illusions that you find? You know how you start facing them? You start questioning them. You start noticing. Can I, can I mention what you said to me earlier? Sure. Just because, you know, because Kevin, Kevin came up to me and he said, I did an 11 thing. I did an 11 11 thing today, this week. And I said, what was that? Or just now. And I said, what was that? And he said, I noticed I had said something negative instead of saying something positive. He said, I just kind of automatically went to kind of a negative perspective on it instead of looking at it from a positive perspective. It was a small thing. He says, but I just realized I noticed it. I did a five-week meditation practice in Colorado at this place where some of us went to in the town called Crescent. I think it was Crescent. Is that what it's Crestone. Crestone, yeah. It's not too far from, um, from Stan and Mike's place. And so it was a wonderful place. It was during the winter. I did this meditation there. And the thing that's hard is that you're supposed to meditate for an hour or two in the morning, an hour or two in the afternoon, an hour or two in the evening. You do things in between. I couldn't stay focused for more than a minute or unfocused as the case may be. I kept thinking thoughts. And I went to the, I went to the, the head uh, the priest there, the Zen priest, and I said, I, I, my thoughts are all over the place. I can't get my thoughts out of my head. I keep noticing all my thoughts. And he smiled and he said, oh, good. You're noticing your thoughts. You see, we have to be still enough to, and be willing enough to actually notice what we're doing. Otherwise, we're just up on the stage reacting. We're just reacting. But until we begin to notice that we're reacting, we can't change our reactionary behavior. Nor can we change the world, and I'm gonna argue, nor can we really touch the spirit. Because the spirit is in the heart of what connects us all. And we ain't doing that very well. So, take five minutes every day, just try it. Just try it this week and see if you can't actually be still and start to notice your thoughts. And see if after a week of that, you don't start noticing other things that you're doing. Carl Jung said, do you think, someone had asked him, do you think humanity will make it? And Carl Jung said, if enough of us will do our own work. Changing every day 
doesn't mean rejection when you accept what you find. Looking inward is such a journey, oh, won't you peer inside? A wise man told me don't banish your demons, it won't make you feel alive. But rather get to know them, create peace inside your mind. you take just a moment before we hear the last song by John Lennon, which is a beautiful song. We get to sing it together, I think. But I'm going to invite you to do this. Just sit where you are, take, close your eyes if that helps you. You're going to hear some sounds, you're going to hear some noises, and I invite you to take a deep breath, and in your head, count to five as you inhale, and count to six as you exhale. I invite you to do that three more times. And then two more after that with longer inhales and longer exhales. This last song is really our prayer. The song that John Lennon wrote, it's our prayer as we leave here, and it'll be our benediction. We've heard this song many, many times. If you imagine this song as a prayer that invites you into stillness in a way in which we can actually begin to imagine something different than the way we keep doing things so that we might begin to see ourselves in relation to the spirit that moves and has its being amongst all of us. It requires our willingness to breathe and to pay attention and then be still enough to see what else can happen. Amen.
Okay. Go in pieces. We'll see you next time.